What's up, family? You are tuned into Law and Disorder, a podcast where we expose the cracks in our system, agitate for resistance, and collectively build a new world in which all of us can thrive. From KPFA Radio and the Pacifica Network, I'm your host, Kat Brooks. Five years ago, a woman only being referred to as Jane Doe went to SFPD for help. She had been raped. A rape kit was conducted and her DNA collected. She had no idea, however, that that DNA would later be used to arrest her in connection with an unrelated property crime. Now she's filed a federal lawsuit against the city. We're joined this morning by her legal counsel and my friend, my brother, Adante Pointer, a civil rights attorney doing the work and partner with Pointer and... I always say this wrong. Well, LLP. Good morning, Adante. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. <laughs> How you doing? It's good to hear your voice. It's been a minute, sir. Yes, that's why I had a little chuckle to hear yours as well. It has been a while. We gotta catch up. <laughs> yes, we do. Uh, but I see you. I see you out there handling people's business, and so appreciative of your work, Adante. Walk us through how your client uh, discovered, if you will, that it was her rape kit. DNA that SFPD used to connect her and arrest her, I believe, correct, to a property crime yes. five years later. Yes. Yeah. So uh, she was um, essentially, <clears throat> she came into the system by way of her DNA, I should say, uh, as a as a sexual assault survivor. You know, they had the SART exam and they, they took the sample and SFPD, unbeknownst to her, stored this for close to six years. And it was approximately five to six years later that she's in a situation, a domestic situation at her home. Neighbors called the police. So essentially she's in need of protection. And uh, the police come out. She didn't want to participate uh, in the whole uh, investigation at that point in time. The person who was abusing her is right there. It's, it's uncomfortable. It's one of these things where she just was not feeling comfortable dealing with the police at that point in time. The police leave. They come back. And on their way back, they run her name and find out that she has a warrant for this unrelated property crime. They arrest her. So she's she's in a position where she needs help. Instead, she's arrested. She's hauled off to jail. And while she's in jail, she's told by her public defender, hey, you know, this property crime charge that they have, that they're holding over your head, they, they linked you to this property crime by way of your DNA that you gave them during your sexual assault rape test. And, of course, she's blown away. For a number of reasons. One, she didn't even know that that was something that was possible. Two, she they did not have her consent to use her DNA evidence that they obtained through the rape test kit um, on it for any other reason. And then three, she comes to find out that they have been running her DNA along with everyone else. And these are probably thousands of people who are in this database to see if they're related to any other crimes that are taking place in San Francisco over the last seven years. Quick digression point, and this is why thousands of women across the country do not call law enforcement when um, they are in an interpersonal violence uh, situation. The ways in which they're re-victimized by law enforcement are too many to talk about in this short segment. Dante, is this legal? It like, is, is this policy? Is this on the books for SFPD? Okay, say more. This was, this was, this is, completely illegal and, in my opinion, unethical. However, this was a general and standard practice, an everyday, daily thing that SFPD and their crime lab was doing, which is taking people who were victims 
of some sort of crime in San Francisco who gave their DNA to the police, trusted the, the police to safeguard it and use it to prosecute the people who violated them. And instead, SFPD took that and then re-victimized, or I should say weaponized the DNA against them. And that is an unconstitutional search using their DNA. It violates their privacy laws, HIPAA, and a whole bunch of other different laws that are out there that are supposed to protect us from this type of government overreach and abuse. What are you um, asking for in terms of a lawsuit, Adante? Sure. Well, what we want is this practice to just come to a complete end. You know, the once we once this came to light, uh, former SF uh, District Attorney Chesa Boudin brought this practice to light, and then the crime lab and the police chief first say, first sought to explain it away. Then finally they said, okay, okay, we're not going to do it. And the Board of Supervisors passed a bill that limits the use of DNA and how long it can be retained. But from my perspective, the entire practice needs to be eradicated and uprooted. The idea that our government is compiling a DNA Google-like database of citizens against their will, without their knowledge, under the pretense of protecting us, but then weaponizing it against us and against people, is something that sounds like it comes out of a sci-fi movie or somewhere out of the backwoods of, of the United States. When this is happening and supposed to be the more progressive bastion of our country, this is just overwhelming and something that we cannot stand for. And right in line with some other practices of the SFPD and last week uh, and in our next segment, we're going to talk about ways in which um, they're collecting uh, even more information than our DNA via illegal surveillance. Um, what is the San Francisco Police Department saying in response to the lawsuit, Adante? Well, you know, they're, they haven't put out an official response. We just know that when we uh, filed our claim to give them a heads up that, hey, you guys need to do right by this lady and the thousands of other people are in the database, the chief came out and said, you know, he wasn't going to stand by and allow the database and the way it's being used to, to, continue, to, to continue to go forward. However, you know, okay. I'm a person I trust, but I verify. So we need to see the receipts. <laughs> Has it been destroyed? Have the, have the people who DNA in there been notified that their DNA was in this database? And have they been told how many times on a daily basis the police were seeking to link them to other things in the city? Who had access to this database? Was it being sold to people? Have they? Because DNA is the most unique thing we have. And as science progresses, they're unlocking of many secrets and things about DNA. And so these are the sort of issues that I think we need to be on top of. And so this lawsuit is not just about this one particular woman who was very courageous to come forward and kind of be the vessel for us to to get to this issue. But it's multifaceted, and we're just going to stay on top of it until it's completely eradicated. One of the things that blew my mind, I mean, the story broke, you know, some months ago that this had happened, um, was the other story that broke some months ago when this happened, was that SFPD has literally hundreds of untested rape kits sitting on its shelves, Correct. Yes, yes. And, and you know, when you juxtapose that to the idea that there are people out there who have been violated, they've come to the police for help, the police took these rape kids and they're unprocessed, which would obviously mean the perpetrator, the violator is still out there roaming free. But yet they thought it was important enough and used the resources they have to, to take a rape survivor's DNA and link them to a property crime. 
that makes us that should make a person wonder what is more what is more important to the SFPD and our government property that's insured or a person the sanctity and the respect of humanity in a person's body I would submit that we should be more concerned with prosecuting and investigating people who are violating women and men and, and anyone else versus a retailer who may have lost some property that's insured and, and will be recompensated for it. Well, that just goes to the core of the truth of what law enforcement in this country does. It protects property, not people, which is why more police do not result in less so-called crime. You mentioned that when former San Francisco District Attorney Tessa Boudin was in office, he was very vocal about this when it broke with the news, demanded an end to the practice. How's the newly appointed San Francisco DA Brooke Jenkins responding? I have not heard any response from her office directly as of yet on this issue, hmm. and that very well may be considered a response <laughs> by some people. You know, um, we're watching, obviously, her and her policies closely, uh, and, you know, we stand ready to fight on behalf of the people, you know, on any encroachment upon our rights. Yeah, I don't have a crystal ball, Dante, but I have a feeling that there's going to be a lot of those fights uh, down the road. Um you talked about your client being brave. I would agree she's going by Jane Doe. Is she concerned about retaliation? She certainly is. You know, one of the things here, and I've tried to point this out in the interviews that I've discussed here, is that we all know the data shows, anecdotal evidence, our personal experience, and just looking at the headlines, if you will, certain segments of our community, and particularly uh, people of color, black people, black women, you know, are targeted and receive harsher sentences, have a much more uh, disparate experience dealing with the criminal injustice system. And so the idea that they weaponize this DNA against this lady, to me, is just one more slap in the face, one more uh, weapon that's formed against particular communities. And so it discourages people from participating and seeking the help of police if they need them. And so, you know, we're very concerned about that. And so she's very courageous to come forward because she's still in harm's way. Is she still facing the the property crime charges or have they dropped those? Uh, D.A. Chesa Boudin dropped those charges. He had his legal analysis was spot on. He considered it fruit of a poisonous tree, which is a longstanding document, uh, doctrine, if you will, about the idea that if you obtain evidence against someone uh, in an unlawful manner, then you can't then use the fruits of that evidence to prosecute them. But what the San Francisco Police Department was doing was essentially turning that on its head because we've all been watching our cops and robbers shows on TV or movies know that you have a Fifth Amendment right to remain silent. <laughs> the idea that you gave up that right in the midst of a low point or a desperate part of your life or a part where you were really seeking help of the government to protect you, they then use that right against you because you gave up that right when you gave the DNA and something that was totally unrelated mm. to the crime that they want to use against you now five to six years later. So, you know, uh, Chesa Boudin refused to prosecute the case. So kudos to him for that. And, you know, but there's many other people who were not prosecuted, but that doesn't mean that they didn't process the DNA evidence somebody gave them and then use that to make them a person of interest and later came and arrested them on some other issue or surveilled them or their family. So, you know, this is a wide, the tentacles of the way in which government can use DNA is just not straightforward as it relates to a to an arrest. It can also just be surveillance, naming you as a personal interest, going through your other files and privacy in order to try to see if they can 
link you to some other crime or just whatever other interest government may have in cataloging and, and surveilling you. Fruits of a Poisonous Tree, D, uh, former DA Boudin, also uh, used that, I believe, that same doctrine um, to not prosecute cases that came to his desk via racial profiling on the part of the San Francisco Police Department. One of the things that put a target on his back for recall. Um, what about the police commission, uh, Adante Pointer? Are, are they weighing in? Have they said anything about this practice? Are they advocating for your client at all? Yes, the police commission has uh, weighed in. Uh, they definitely took this issue up. They brought the police chief and the director of the crime lab uh, to the commission meeting and frankly took them to task for what was going on. You know, there's a lot happening with the police commission. A new president uh, was appointed uh, to be the head of the police commission over what some would say the wishes of the mayor. Uh, this person was elected over the mayor's chosen candidate. Um, we're just hopeful, and I think our community just needs to really keep an eye on what's happening at the police commission, make sure they're doing the people's work, and striking the appropriate balance between protecting the community versus allowing the community to be prey to uh, police oversight, or I should say police overreach, and making sure that we maintain vigilance in our oversight of the police. Uh, uh, Dante, the emotional impact on your client of this ordeal. How's she doing? You know, this is, it's, it's, it's taken a toll. You know, um, going back down memory lane stirs up a bunch of memories, a bunch of, you know, hard times for her. And because, frankly, she is, her story is not unique in the sense that people who have a distrust or mistrust of the police and the system and government given their own personal experience and the experience of the communities we live in. And then you're in a position where you're, you feel forced to rely on them. And you're like, okay, I'm going to believe in this whole idea that they're here to protect me. And then they victimize you or they, or they, they prosecute you, treat you unjustly. And then you're left saying, well, man, who can I rely upon? And so, you know, this whole thing is, is just a very heavy burden that she's carrying. And so, you know, we, we've been definitely um, very vigilant about trying to, surround her with resources and, and just try to take care of her as we go through this process. Because as anyone can imagine, you know, litigation is not fun. And so lawsuits are not one-sided. And so we expect the city attorney to come out swinging and doing everything they can to either try to discredit her or minimize what she went through versus doing what I like to say is the right thing, which is the city should take care of its own. And so that's what we're hopeful will happen in litigation, although my experience tells me otherwise. Oh, gosh, and I'm just thinking about how brutal the deposition of your client is going to be uh, as a part of this lawsuit. Um, questions that, out of curiosity, was the initial rape case ever solved by SFPD? We know a person was arrested, um, and we also know that, like many of these type of criminal cases, if they ever even get reported, and then if they ever really get investigated, if someone's ever arrested, very few results in convictions. The way in which the system is set up, it's not victim-centered as it relates to this type of crime. And so, you know, uh, my client gave a statement, identified the person, gave the DNA, and then was being asked to, to, do, uh, to go even further. And so she was uncomfortable with that, and um, ultimately the case uh, was dismissed. Um, so, you know, it, it's one of these things where she's still looking for justice. 
and never got it. And, and only then to find out later that, you know, what you, what you had given up in pursuit of justice is now being used against you is devastating. Last question for you, Adante. Uh, what's next in the case? Are there, way, are there ways that the public can support? Yes. Um, next in the case, you know, it's going to go the, the, the path of many lawsuits, which, you know, will be in front of a judge and the judge is going to set out the timeline by which the attorneys have to do our work. And as you mentioned, depositions, and more investigation. You know, I always encourage people, we have court appearances and sometimes these cases wind up for trial. You know, it's very encouraging to the, the clients and the community for us to see each other come out on behalf of someone or on behalf of an issue that's important to us all. So I really encourage people to pay attention. We always try to alert the community when we go to trial and, um, and love to see people come out and support. All right, Adante Pointer, we're going to leave it there. Thank you so much for coming on the show. You were one of the guests I couldn't wait to have on uh, Law and Disorder, and I know that we will have you back. Have a great day, brother. You too. Take care. Pleasure speaking to you. Bye. We've been speaking to Adante Pointer, a civil rights attorney and partner with Pointer and Buelna LLP. You've been listening to Law and Disorder, a podcast where we expose the cracks in our system, agitate for resistance, and collectively build a new world in which all of us can thrive. That's it for this episode, family. You can find more information about topics and guests in this episode's show notes. Law and Disorder is produced at KPFA. That's listener-supported radio on the Pacifica Network. The show is produced by Jesse Strauss and hosted by me, Kat Brooks. Our theme music was composed by Steve Rask and the Fort Knox Five. If you like what you heard, please follow us on social media at Law and Dis, that's D-I-S, and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Feel free to holler at us about something you heard or send us a show idea at lawanddisorder at kpfa.org. You can also find our content live at 8 a.m. weekdays on KPFA. That's 94.1 FM in the Bay Area. Our show and all of KPFA's programs are funded exclusively by you, the listener. And if you're in a position to support us, please donate today at kpfa.org. Take care of yourself and take care of each other. We all we got, fam.